<laughs> I actually had a student the other day say, Mr. Z, I, I don't know about this. I, Disney, they're going to ruin Star Wars. I said, I, that's a distinct possibility. You know, no. I, mean, I, I just, I, no, no. I, and I, I kind of argued with him a little bit, and I said, and, and George Lucas isn't even involved, and that's a good thing. That's, that's, it's going to be terrible now. And I was like, Hmm. Or not. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. See, I think they could have left it with the original three. Ding dong, you're wrong. Oh, okay, okay, so you're, all right. Oh, yeah, no. Well, a purest point of mine, yeah. I mean, there's just, I like the prequels. You do? Yeah. I like them. Okay. If it's called Star Wars, I like it. I I even like the holiday special. Well, the holiday special's funny. I know. I like the Ewok special. Okay. All right. The, the amount of screen time yeah, sorry, with Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman mm-hmm. staring into each other's eyes like mm-hmm. this makes me want to barf. I can hear the that's music, what, too. Oh, I know. It's so bad. And the, that's have the problem. Have you ever seen the, the robot chicken ones they do? Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm good. a senator. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with the first I like to think about the hell's on aluminum falcon. size section in each one that needs Oh, my God. Are you crying? He's crying. In a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries, one group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Jeff Mazuka, Dennis Matouche. John Reed. Bo Wormbold. Each week, they feature one movie that reminds us why we fell in love with these films in the first place. This year, we travel back in time to 1984 and 85. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. This week we are looking at the Black Cauldron. Uh, it came out on July 24th, so we are almost 30 years to the day. Uh, when this came out. Uh, or a week July. after the last one. Oh, that's true. Um, but we, you guys have had a good week. That's true. Um, I've had an excellent week. So it came out July 24th, 1985. was rated PG. It was actually the... Well, I have a whole list of firsts for this one. It was the first Disney cartoon to be rated PG. The, the budget. The budget was $44 million. Quite a bit for a cartoon. Was uh, that budgeted or was that the actual? That was... I think that ended up being the actual. Okay. Originally, I think they budgeted like twenty. I was because I know it was thirty million, and then ended up being horrible overruns. Yeah. Uh, box office was twenty one point three. Reason Oops. why that there is no Black Cauldron two, and why you don't get a Princess Elanwy doll along with all the other Ariels and everything else. Uh, it was directed by Ted Berman and Richard Rich, uh, who were also the directors of Disney's nineteen eighty one movie The Fox and the Hound. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 55% for the critics and a 47% for the audience. Um, music, and um, I will be commenting on the music later because I think it was awesome, was done by Elmer Bernstein, who also did Ghostbusters. So, and it's I think it's really obvious that he was the one that did it because it sounded almost exactly like Ghostbusters. Uh, Grant Bardsley played Taran, or Taran. Uh, Susan Sheridan played Princess Alonwi. Nigel Hawthorne was Fluterflam. Uh, John Biner was Gurgi or Dolly. John Hurt was the Horned King. Uh, Freddie Jones was Dalbin. John Huston was the narrator. Uh, this movie is loosely based on the first two books in the Chronicles of Prydain by Lloyd Alexander, a series of novels based on Welsh mythology. Uh, it was the first animated Disney film to incorporate computer imagery. 
It was the first to feature the Sleeping Beauty's Castle Disney logo. Uh, it was the first to put the credits at the end of the movie. They had all been at the beginning up to that point. Um, and it was also the first to receive a PG rating. Legend has it, there was once a king so cruel and so evil that the gods feared him. Since no prison could hold him, he was trapped forever in the form of a great black cauldron. The old king, that black-hearted devil. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Black Cauldron. Escape into a world of darkness. Are you coming? Me? Go in there? Oh, no, no, no. It's a terrible place. A world of excitement. <sighs> a world of dreams. Aaron, the greatest warrior, a true hero. And through the magic of 70mm photography and 6-track Dolby sound, you will be transported to a fantasy event for the entire family. Look! Look, sire! It's working! Soon, the Black Cauldron will be mine. In the great tradition of Disney animated classics, now comes the newest Disney spectacle of them all, the Black Cauldron. Um, so in this story, we, well, Bo, you had already kind of summed it up for us earlier. You said it's a movie about a magic pig. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. It's a movie about a magic pig. And the pig can tell you where the Black Cauldron is, and the Horn King wants the Black Cauldron. Because Black Cauldron is powerful. It is powerful. All well, right. thanks for stopping by this week, everybody. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, much sums up the movie. Uh, read the series. So let me, let me start off with this. Is I have heard this movie referred to as the movie that killed or almost killed Disney animation. And it's the worst Disney cartoon ever made. Bull thoughts. Not too much gray area in that one. That's pretty- no, that's, that's pretty out there. I love this movie. I loved it when I was a kid. And I think it's a damn shame that Disney, for whatever reason, does not want to accept this movie into their pantheon. Yeah, and into, into everything they do. I think this is, I think, a great movie. And I love the fact that it's a little bit darker, but really not much. I mean, look at some of the uh, animated scenes, the Night on Bald Mountain scene from Fantasia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's pretty dark. You know, you have the devil coming out of a mountain and spirits flying all around him. Apparently I heard rumors that they want to make an entire movie based off of that. Based on Night on Bald Mountain. Yeah, Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. but I don't buy the fact that, that they think it's too dark. I think that's a, a cop-out. For whatever reason, they don't want to include this movie in, in to what they already have in, into their mass collection. And like I said, I think it's a shame. I think it's a really good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I was talking to John, I think, last week. Um, I remember when, I, when my brother and I were kids, we used to walk around. We'd refer to anytime we wanted a snack. We talk about we want to we want to go get some munchies and crunchies, like we really adopted elements of this movie and, and loved the heck out of it. Yeah, that's just me. Now this uh, to to kind of go along with some of the things that you mentioned, um, kind of the story behind Black Cauldron. And then we'll we'll get to everybody else's reactions. Um, it was the movie that was kind of meant to bring teenagers to Disney uh, that they knew that they pretty much had a lock on kids. 
but they wanted to try to reach teenagers. So they wanted to try to put out something that they knew was going to be a little bit darker, um, maybe a little bit scarier. They wanted to interest that older age group and, and bring them in. So initially they had actually increased the budget of this movie because they wanted this. They were kind of touting this as this was going to be their biggest thing since Sleeping Beauty. And they wanted to bring in the older age group. Then around the fall of 84, um, as I was reading up on this, in the fall of 84, Michael Eisner became the chairman of Disney. Um, and he and his studio chairman, Jeffrey Katzenberg, didn't really care for the animation division as much. It wasn't their, wasn't their thing. It wasn't what they enjoyed most. And so they actually considered eliminating the entire division from Disney and getting rid of animation or farming it out completely. Um, so when it came time in the fall of 84, when they were putting this movie together, um, they did some pretty heavy cutting and re-editing. Um, the producer didn't want to do any kind of cutting, cutting or re-editing at all. Um, but then I guess this Katzenberger came into the lab without his permission or foreknowledge and just started cutting the movie up himself. Um, so I'm just going to do this myself. And then apparently there was a little bit of a, an argument back and forth, and they <laughs> did, well, yeah, and so they did. They did put a stop to it, and they said, "Well, look, we we still need you to to cut some things from this movie. It's getting to be too bloated. There's too much here, and and the the budget's out of control. Perfect for this podcast, right? So there was a lot of that going on, kind of behind the scenes, and I think that with some of that, um, and I want to say that something I, I thought I had some notes here on it, but. Um, that they, gosh, I'm trying to remember what it was. Something about how they switched the method of doing the animation. Like they, they were in the process of switching from hand drawing everything and, and airbrushing the cells of the, the, the film and, and all of this. And, and this was kind of the movie that was the end of all that, like the old way of making Disney animated cartoons. And then after this, they switch to the way they make the cartoons now, which is a little bit more like if you've got, you know, somebody who has a little bit of training and, you know, knows how to run a computer, then they can bring it out a lot quicker, a lot more efficiently business wise. Um, and then after that, that's why they had a whole string of movies that came out real fast and they did pretty well, but like little mermaid and lion King and all those, but that this was the last one that did kind of the, almost like the hand-painted frames, um, mm-hmm. hand-drawn, hand-painted stuff, that same style that you see with, like, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, and, and all that. So that this was, like, the last of the big-budget, old-style Disney cartoons. And possibly because it was in that transition time, that's why Disney has kind of said, no, things were, like, this was a big mess, and, and you know, things are too... It's It's not... It doesn't fit with the rest of our Disney philosophy with the Disney princesses and all this other stuff. So we're just going to kind of throw it off to the side. I don't know. But that, that just kind of seems that that was played heavily into one of the reasons why they really didn't carry on with this movie. Now, Pat, you said, now I remember reading this as a kid. I read the book first. And it's the first time I remember reading the book of a movie before seeing the movie. And I love the book. I think I read it in third grade, and I really love the book, but I've never read any of the other books. Um, now, you said you've read – have you read all the books? I have. You have. Yeah. So how does this fit? Because I, I know that there's several parts of this where the author, like he – Well, Lloyd Alexander's he, he quote was 
the movie yeah. there's no resemblance to the books right but it was a good movie yeah was and I thought ah, well that kind of that sums it all up yeah. um, as far as the books go I, yeah I I'm trying to think man I uh, I don't know if I was reading them in third grade um, but I, I remember reading and this one is the second one and I think you already said this is a kind the story is kind of a combination of the two and this will hopefully make the language arts reading teachers in the room happy but I I think um, my I don't want to say struggle with the movie because I'll preface it. I, I enjoyed the movie, but I'm falling into the old trap of ah, the book was better. That's kind of what that's where I get tripped up with the movie is just the ah, the book was better. And it's interesting that, well, they've got to come in and cut this and cut this and cut this. And I'd love to see a director's cut because I'm, I'm guessing all the things that I, I kind of struggled with in the movie probably ended up on the cutting room floor. And it's not missing scenes, but... It's it's I think there's five or six books in the series. It's a very involved story, um, a lot of characters, very interesting plots, and there's only so much you can do bef- before it starts to get that watered down feel. And it's interesting that they kind of combined a couple of different um, themes and books into one story. Um, I, I I think there were characters that were just kind of left out. Um, that were in the original and, and they go into more explanation of why is the pig magical and why is Taran is who he is. And, um, there's more bad guys. They talk about the horned King more. Um, there's like, you know, the big showdown, it takes five books or six books to actually get to the big showdown. Um, as I remember, cause it's been a while since I've read them, but you know, there's a lot leading into it and you're just gonna, it seems like you naturally lose something, in the movie. I liked the movie a whole lot. It was a fun movie. Um, it, it, but that's what tripped me up is it just seemed like it was almost, you know, it, it, there was never really any peak climax, big final scene. It was like, okay, there was some adventure and then a, a little bit more building of the plot or just kind of plodding along. Plodding along sounds a little harsh, but I'll use that. And then it kind of swelled up again. Okay, this is exciting. All right. Then it kind of tap back down. And then it swelled up again. It was really exciting and, you know, the big final thing. But it almost seemed like you wanted to end with, and now stay tuned for when they really beat the Horned King because it, it almost had the, the feel of like a half-hour cartoon f- for all the the emotional intensity. I liked it. I liked the characters. The animation was cool to watch. It was old-school animation. But it it seemed like they were trying to make all the books into one movie and it, it, it just kind of, that's where they ended up with something that just, it didn't have all the power of the book because it wasn't long enough, but it didn't have the zip that you need in making a movie, you know, telling a story in a more compact time. Does that, does that yeah. agree or not? Does that yeah. make, does that make sense kind of where I, but. Yeah, for me, this movie, now it's not one that I remember watching it as a kid after I read the book, I, the book that I had, it said, I, cause I'd never I never heard of the Black Cauldron, but the book that I had on the front said "Now a Major Motion Picture" by Walt Disney. I thought, "Oh, cool! Well, I'm going to go look for it." So we probably went to the video store and checked it out, watched it. Then I don't know that I ever watched it again until two, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, this was not something that you know, Jeff, like you said, this was something that you guys it was in your vocabulary, mm-hmm. you know, to, to to quote this movie. But for me, it wasn't. But I do remember liking the book when I read it. And I actually read a few articles on it. I thought, well, let me look some things up on it real quick. Um, 
And I read some articles on it, and they talked about how it's you know one of the worst Disney cartoons ever made, one of the worst Disney movies ever ever created. And I'm like, wow, I don't remember as a kid it being that bad. I mean, I don't I don't remember that much about it, but I don't remember it being horrible. Um, and then I, I have another friend who I've you know done some podcasting stuff with. You know, I, I put some stuff out, uh, sent it to him for his show, and um, he has a podcast with somebody else called Disney Vault Talk. And every week they pick another Disney movie to talk about. And it just so happens that as we were kind of getting ready to record this, that they were also talking about Black Cauldron. I didn't get a chance to listen to the entire episode up to this point, but the consensus was it was really hard to like this movie from their podcast. I thought, well, that's really interesting because at least in the times where, you know, if I saw each of you guys before we were ready to record... I said, oh, have you, you know, what, what have you watched yet? And, you know, oh, Return to Oz, Black Cauldron. And at least the, the sense I was getting from all of us was, oh, yeah, Black Cauldron's pretty cool. It's actually not as bad as most people think. And then I'm listening to this other podcast, and they're like, oh, it's really tough to like this movie. And, and they're big Disney fans, too. So I'm like, well, that's, that seems kind of weird. I would have thought that maybe they were a little more upbeat about it. But this movie, I think the music, I love the music because mm-hmm. it's got that eerie and... and you know, if you want to get if you want to get teenagers and older people, you know, older audience in, bring in the guy that did the music for Ghostbusters because it's got that eerie quality to it. And sometimes it just it sounds like it was lifted directly from Ghostbusters. You know, it sounds almost exactly the same. But then the animation, I mean, there's some of the parts of the animation. There was a part uh, where I think he's, he's climbing up, was climbing up a, a castle wall, something like that, and, and just the way the the camera moves and the the combination of some of the CGI smoke and some of the other stuff, um, you know, it looked to me it looked like it was animation that could have been done last week mm-hmm. and put into a Disney movie. That it, and I wonder after having watched it, and I didn't show it to the kids yet, um, I wonder after having watched it. Could you release a Disney movie like that now and have it do better than it did back in was the 80s? just ahead of its time. Right. When everything was Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella and, and all that, could you take... Now, after they've had movies like Brave or, you know, movies like oh, Beauty and the Beast has some scary stuff in it. I mean, there's several Disney movies that have some scary things in it. But after putting movies like that out that are a little bit darker sometimes, could you then take this one re-release it now and it would do better the question that i keep that i'm pondering right now is um is the the black cauldron a victim of the context in which it was made phasing out of of older animation studio heads that didn't dig on animation in any way and that it's not so much a bad movie but a lot of bad PR came its way because of just everything else going on around it. It could be. And that you drop in any other movie made at that time and would it be, and we'll never know, but could it be given the same definition of being a horrible movie just because of the context in which it was made? Well, and, and one of the other things that I read was originally when they got the rights to these books, that it was going to be like they had the option to do something like Lord of the Rings, even though Lord of the Rings, you know, obviously came years later, um, that they could have done a movie 
for each of these books. Like, they had the rights, they could have gone through, and this could have been their epic story. But at the time, Disney was kind of anti-sequel. You know, you had your one-and-done <laughs> movie. It was it was Cinderella. It was Sleeping Beauty. It was... I laugh now because you think of all the sequels, all the sequels that came out, out like, right. in the last 15 years. Right. But back then, they really... And if you think about it, they really weren't doing sequels. And right. you know, a couple of things that I had read said they were really averse to even thinking about sequels. Like, don't even... No, no, no. We don't do sequels. It's... You do your movie, it's done. You move on to the next project. And so maybe that was why, even though they had the rights to all these books, they felt like they had to take this, cram it into one movie, and then tell whatever they could of the story and, and go from there. They're cool stories with, with, with lot, the bad guys are really scary and just unique, unique bad guys. You know, a, a lot of stuff falls into, a lot of the fantasy stuff can fall into like basically Dungeons and Dragons with different names and all that, but I found in these books it was, wow, that's that's a different take. That's that, and you say I didn't really follow much that it's based on Welsh legends, so that's kind of cool that maybe that's when the source material is not Dungeons and Dra- Dungeons and Dragons role playing games, you get a little bit more variety. But that would have been cool to see yeah. five different movies or six different movies because I think they could have really, especially with that animation, that would have been pretty cool. Well, hey, for all the Disney executives that are listening to our podcast. If you decide that you want to pick up these movies and, and make them now, we think we would give you a thumbs up to go ahead and do that because we think they probably could be decent movies. So yeah. for all you guys listening, go ahead and do it. I found the barmaid character kind of fun to watch, the one, the woman in the in the bar and all that. And am I am I thinking of the movie where something fell into her, her you're chest? About, you're thinking about the witches. The witches, we'll that's the witches. right. I had it written down well, as... The, I wrote down because this obviously was the point has been brought up by others that this is a Disney movie with some questionable scenes. I would find a hard time how to describe this to Dominic. Like right. if Tammy and Dominic, she'd probably be glaring at me and be like, "Well, that, I don't know I mean, how that, that, that whole scene where the witch is like, you know, trying to come That's on right. to That's uh, right. is it Fleur? Fleur yeah, is, is coming on to him, and <laughs> he gets turned into a frog, and he gets trapped in her cleavage, and like you know, that, yeah. Up to this point, that hasn't happened. That's frosty, do. So nice to meet you, ladies. <laughs> Goodbye. Wait. My. Aren't you the handsome one? Who? Me? me? Oh, honestly, now. Don't you find me irresistible? Yes. Well, of course, Mr. Shush. Stop that. You don't mind if I fuck your harp. <laughs> anyway, but apparently, I mean, some of the some of the deleted scenes were um, they had some of the scenes that they either didn't put in or they had originally put in and then cut out was they had more stuff going on with the cauldron born, like it was more mm-hmm. gruesome. There was more, you know, blood and guts more and everything nasty. else. Um, and apparently, as they're trying to run away from the castle, they had a scene where um, Princess Elanwi her clothes get mostly ripped off as they're running away from the castle. And the quote from the, you know, know. well, the quote from, uh, you know, what I read and they were talking about this was she ends up being partially naked as they escape from the castle. Now, I can see how if you're trying to. That's her own irresponsibility. You can't blame Disney for that. Well, that's, well, yeah, I mean, if she can't wear clothes that are reasonably made and that's her fault. Um, but, I mean, I can see where that's trying to, like, pull in the teenage <laughs> yeah. audience yeah. and yeah. get their attention, but not very Disney. 
Here, boys, come look at this partially right. naked animated girl. Maybe that's why yes. they don't have you know dolls and posters of Princess Alonwe because she's their more risque princess. But but I just and I I'll tell you though, I find it interesting that you know society societally speaking or whatever you know we're much we will tolerate much more violence crammed into a PG rating than something like that. Yeah, and I mean and I, it kind of. That that's the one scene I brought up that said, "Oh, that's okay, questionable, and all that." However, you know, look at the kind of stuff that you know you could. Well, that I don't want my kids watching that. But turn on Tom and Jerry, right. and you look at how much you know things are getting. You know, the violence in in that show, not good, bad, or indifferent, but it's just interesting what we tolerate and mm-hmm. what we. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. I don't want my kids seeing that. Yeah. You know, so. We, have, we haven't heard from you yet. Yeah. Bo, you hey, Bo's here. What do you got? Would it still have a PG rating today is the first question I had. Because I watched it and I was like, well, I guess it's a little scary. But then you, as you correctly brought up, you know, animation has pushed, pushed the envelope a little more. I mean, we, we've scared people in G movies, I think. And I'm just not sure anything rose to that level as I was watching it. I think with the... And maybe I'm just... Yeah. Well, I think with like the Cauldron Born, and uh, mostly with the Cauldron Born, but I think with some of that stuff, I mean, I think you'd still get the PG rating. Yeah, he gets bloodied isn't, because isn't like Toy Story? Isn't that still PG or is that G? I think <sighs> you PG. might be right. It might be PG. Brave is PG. I think Brave is PG. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. If Brave is PG, yeah. then yeah, this yeah. would be PG. Have It'll your kids seen it? Have they seen Black Cauldron? Black Cauldron? No. Okay. Nope. No, I did not want to be woken up at night from nightmares and. Other stuff. I Toy Story is rated G. Is it rated G? Yeah. Okay. All right. I did not remember right. having seen this movie when you originally published the list. I was like, "My God, he rings a bell," but I couldn't tell you. But as soon as I saw the image from the front of the the mm-hmm. VHS box of him and the pig, I was like, "Oh yeah, That's it. yeah, I like that movie." It's a so, movie that somehow implanted itself in the back of everybody's mind. Yeah. Unless you're Black freaky Calder, like, I don't know that movie. Unless you're freaky like me and it's, like it's have to remember this movie. It's one of those right. like, oh yeah, I did see this once upon a time. Well, and as I'm watching it, all the characters are starting to come back. I remember the, 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 the Horn King sitting up there and it all started coming back. And it also brought back memories of other movies. Dark Crystal. Just, just Thematically, voices, it all just sort of rolls into one at some point, I guess, as you get older. But then you and I talked to hear how just brutal people take this movie apart. I'm like, it's just not. There are plenty of other movies you can take apart. You don't have to mess with this one. Right. It's, it's. It's just a good story, you know? It sounds like the source material is excellent. I kind of want to go check it out now. Um, Because there are some weird parts to it. Like, I feel like they rush you in to the beginning. And you're you're playing catch-up from the beginning with this one. And you... Okay. Kid's an assistant pig keeper. Don't know who this old man is. And the pig is apparently magic. And that's the first seven and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. That's what dreams are made of. Right? Here we go. I feel like there could be... And it's not that long of a movie either. So I feel like, you know, spend five minutes on some exposition. And everybody will be happier. I feel and like... I mean, I've always felt like bacon is magic. <laughs> well, okay. But we're talking about the pig before the bacon. Okay. That's fine. Um, Which came first? Oh. 
The pig or the bacon? The pig, the pig the came bacon. before the bacon, I'm thinking. You sure? sure? Yeah. But then how did the pig get there? Pig was... But do they know that we know? If I'm they know. trying to draw an evolution. Wait, was the pig really pig. there or not? Did the pig really happen? Did the pig happen? What is the evolutionary line to pig? What was before pig? I don't know. In The Simpsons, there were John? pigs in the uh, Garden of Eden. Oh, yeah. Remember that one, the <laughs> Garden of Eden episode? <laughs> yes. Thank you. I, mean, I was hoping somebody would get that. I got it. I, was I heard just, you. I just he and I had engaged in something, and my I, brain was frying. I pretended that you were Falcor, and you never happened. Ooh. <laughs> or know, maybe I did. We're not maybe sure. Did. There were but it was awesome. <laughs> worst things to be called than Falcor. We love you, You're Pat. a luck dragon. That's good stuff. <laughs> Remember, everybody, if you donate to the 30-something podcast at the master level, you can win a date with Pat. <laughs> right. There we go. Holy mackerel. The30podcast.podbean.com. Are, are we, are Be we, a patron. We want money for this, or we're trying to avoid money for this? <laughs> I and I just want to say, take, take a second say, everyone's ripping on each other, and somehow it all comes back to, I'm getting ripped on. Uh, all right. Yes. Yes. So, anyways. We do it because we tolerate you. That's right. We digress. Well, and I, I think I mentioned it earlier. I if, you're, if you're seeing a movie, if in a previous podcast, if you're seeing a movie for the first time, sometimes there's a theme you pick up on that you would never have thought of. As I'm watching this again, that little part of my brain that said, okay, they're like babying this pig. Because you don't know the pig's magic yet in those first few minutes. <laughs> and he's over there washing the pig, and the old guy's telling him, you got to wash the pig. The kids complaining about always washing the pig. This is a pretty special pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're starting to think, but that's all you need to know. Well, it is, but at the same time, you're like, it's it's it's, it's pig. Y'all. So, but anytime you watch a movie, you want the the full explanation of everything in the onset. No, I just feel like this one because was it's missing so, something. It's so non traditional that it makes and maybe you sit that's and go, it. Why? Why are we? Treating a pig with such reverence. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think it's because it's a pig. Something else, uh, 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 a normal family pet not? might not have been as weird. I think it was a well, pig thing. Yeah. Well, and, and, and two, I'm, and I hate to keep going along the same track, but you've got a story that unfolds over five or six volumes. Right. And then you're going to, and I, I have a hard time going from books to movies. I really do. But, you know, I've talked to you guys are talking to other does, friends that are Does Henwin show up in all the books? I, I got to go back and remember. The last you know, book, I, he shows up on a plate. Yeah. <laughs> but. Hence bacon. Oh, Hence a bacon. feast for the king. <laughs> but even that, um, you, you take five or six stories to, un, you know, books to unfold the story. This was a combination of two different books into this one movie. So you were asking for five minutes of development. There could have been five chapters of development. Sure. And then suddenly you try and convert it to the movie medium, and then it's. Okay, things are going to happen quicker, and that takes a real that takes a real skill to get it so that that it fits with the faster pace of a movie. And I think that's what what happened in the story is, and that's where you're like, well, wait a minute, I need a little bit more. And do, were these two books like in the middle? No, the, these first two books. Were, okay, so it's at least start at the beginning. All right, well, that's good. right. And they and then I went back before this, and I was going to be like, oh, I'm going to go on Wikipedia and just read the synopsis of each book just to refresh my memory. And I was expecting, uh, like, a paragraph or two for each book. And then it was, you know, the Wikipedia thing I'm reading. I'm like, man, these stories were a lot more complex than I thought. Like, I, so I, I think that's, I think that's the trap that, that you fell into and that, that is that great stuff, but just. Well, I think anyone who makes a movie from a book runs into this. I mean, how do you take this 
complex story that's you know yeah. it's a novel and turn it into an hour and a half. I mean, that book took you weeks to read. Mm. Processed it a little bit at a time. There was depth to it. There was nuance that sometimes just doesn't. Yeah. Or you end up with a seven-hour Hobbit. Right. I mean, that's the alternative. <laughs> and these books, and like I said, these books too are kids' books. I mean, I don't. I think they're only right. like an like maybe an inch or half an inch thick. Well, so which not... in the wardrobe size? I'm yeah. assuming right in that ballpark. Yeah. So they're interesting. Well, I want to. You know, there have been some people that have said this is the one of the worst Disney movies ever made. <laughs> I want to go all the way back to 1985, and I want to read you a few paragraphs. Um, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but read you a few paragraphs of the review that Roger Ebert gave it oh. back in 1985. My God, um, Roger Ebert gave it a three and a half out of four stars. At a boy, Raj. There we go. Why we love Job, people. Raj. Um, if you're listening, you wouldn't be. But he's always listening. He's listening. If he's listening, doing really yeah. well. We yeah. have listeners in heaven, Chile, <laughs> Germany, England, all we're, of them. We're place. still hoping for America soon. Still, one day, <laughs> we got that one person in Detroit. Um, so here was his review. I'm going to grab a couple of the paragraphs here, but I like how he how he put it. Um, the best of the Disney animated features were not innocent children's entertainments, but blood curdling stories of doom and obsession. With a few smiles along the way, of course. They only looked innocent because they were cartoons. Reflect for a moment on the island of Lost Boys and Pinocchio. Or what happened to Bambi's mother. The great Disney cartoons contained all of the fearsome possibilities of the grim fairy tales, or for that matter, of life itself. Only in recent years have the Disney feature cartoons grown pale and innocuous as part of the general delusion that harmless means colorless. Uh, now comes a new Disney animated film in the old tradition. The Black Cauldron is a rip-roaring tale of swords and sorcery, evil and revenge, magic and pluck and luck. It tells the story of a search for a magic cauldron that can, if it falls into the hands of the evil horned king, be used as a bottomless source of evil. And it takes us on a journey through a kingdom of some of the more memorable characters in any recent Disney film. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Um... The let's see. The story is based on material um, I'm not familiar with, the Chronicles of Prydane series by Lloyd Alexander. But some of the visuals look familiar, particularly Taran's magic sword, which seemed borrowed from the laser swords in Star Wars, and the final apocalyptic conclusion, where the special effects fireworks look like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, the movie uses this borrowed material with such energy, however, that it earns its right to it. By the end of The Black Cauldron, I was remembering with something of a shock of nostalgia the strength and utter storytelling conviction of the early Disney animators. The Black Cauldron is a return to the tradition. Got it, Miss Roger Ebert. And then right after that, they threw out the tradition. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Roger, e Roger Ebert loved it, and they threw it away. Sounds but that one, I mean, I think, I, I think his review and his take on it is probably more of where I'm at and it sounds like where all of us are at that this is not the worst Disney mm -hmm. movie ever made in fact it could be one of the better ones um, now I will admit there are times where I did feel like you know some of, the, some of the others have said that the story was lacking or you know maybe not I did feel for something that was supposed to be a couple of different novels put together that there were times where it did drag a little bit and I wanted it to move at a faster pace mm -hmm. um, but visually musically <laughs> Technically, I mean, a lot of that stuff, beautiful movie. I mean, I, if, if I put it next to the animation of any other Disney movie, this would probably be one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Visually, it's gorgeous. You can tell they mm -hmm. spent time animating it. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it was done in that Sleeping Beauty, Snow White style with the 
I would love to. This is one that you'd love to. You know, somewhere in a Disney vault, somewhere mm-hmm. there's the stack of cells from this. Oh, they do, and they'll never release it. Oh no, and 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 these are matte quality, and you could take one of these things, blow it up, and it is going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even the you know even the even where it gets really dark, which is sometimes where animation sort of loses it. it, it and I don't mean like thematically, I mean color. When mm-hmm. you start to get so saturated and it's really dark, they have lighting issues. And that you, even now in computer animation, they have more issues. Back then, you could see brush strokes. I mean, it was just, yeah. it was a thing of beauty. Yeah. So, one of the animators that worked on this movie was a very young, undiscovered Tim Burton. And wow. he, um, I read that. He was drawn to this movie because of the story and because of how dark it was. Yeah. And if I remember well, correctly, sense. and Mr. Burton, please feel free to contact us if mm-hmm. I'm getting this wrong. But he was also yeah, kind Tim, of, you've, you've got the number, so just give us a call. Um, he was also kind of disappointed with the outcome of the movie and what Disney tried to do to it, and that the company made it what it shouldn't have been. Um, I think John Lasseter of Pixar also was a new hire at Disney when they started to work on this. Oh, that I, I think know. he was in there too. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I just feel like that if, if the company had given it the support that it so richly deserved, yeah. it could have been right up there with, with some of the, the best Disney animated movies ever made. But because I think at the time and the context in which it was made and the, the studio heads were not about the animation department, it just kind of got shoved down to the to the depths of the Disney vault, and no one wants to acknowledge it as as something that I, they did. I, you know what's funny? I, I, you guys that know me are going to laugh when I say this, but I mean, it almost sounds like uh, the discussion goes on around Bond because the uh, the um, two Timothy Dalton Bond flicks that came out. The second, the Living Daylights was a little bit campy, but the first of those. Um, License, License to, to, to Kill. kill. Yeah, I love that movie. Awesome Great movie. Great action movie. Yeah. Great action movie. And a but lo- that, was, that was like Daniel Craig Bond before its time. Before its time. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that a lot of it cycled back to how Bond was mm-hmm. in the original books. And I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember the guy that wrote the books. Who's the, who's the guy that wrote the Bond books? Yeah, uh, Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming. Yeah. His quote was... When people said your books are too violent or too dark or confronted with the bond that was not the PG and little kids can watch is my stories are written for red-blooded men, not for schoolboys. And so they cycled back to that with License to Kill and then what happened? It was ahead of its time. Okay, so Disney cycles back to its old school way, according to Roger Ebert, of making its animations and what happens? It's panned and it's it's really ahead of its time because now you release that. And especially in the midst of all the, the fantasy kind of thing that's going on, um, th- th- I mean, it, boy, if Disney, like you said, if Disney could option a, a five-part, six-part, I can't remember how many books are in the series, story, wow, that's like, that's golden right there. I mean, that, but it was ahead of its time. So it ended up not being a sequel. It was cut down. It was this. It was that. It was the other thing. And, you know. Well, I, and speaking I, of, I don't know who mentioned it, but I think just the idea of a director's cut of this movie would be out, oh, yeah. outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll never, they'll never put it out. Oh, no, no, they we, won't. We've talked about other movies on this podcast that have been panned by critics, didn't do that well. But most of the reasons we've talked about those is because they've become, 
I hate to use the, the the term cult classic, but some of the ones we've talked about have, and they like were Red Sonia. Exactly. The I've question is, why did this excellent. as huh. good as this movie is? What what I think's come out over the course of this podcast is that good filmmaking will eventually rise to the top. It'll become that cult classic. It will have a second run on. VHS and, and people will know about it and people will realize eventually that it's a good film. Yeah. Is the Disney publicity machine just that good? And that's why Black Cauldron still to this day doesn't have that well, I think groundswell now, behind it, I for think lack of a better term. The the number of properties that di- that Disney has at its disposal far outweigh this little rinky dink animated movie from the mid eighties. They're frozen. Why do they need black gold? Yeah. That, well, and, and I guess what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is: have they actively kept it from becoming something, or is it just? Yeah. And, and, and I guess what I'm more interested in is: at some point, did they actively kill it because they don't want to be associated with it? Because I feel like the one that's popping into my head as I'm saying this is Spinal Tap. It's a cult classic. I mean, yeah. people that grew up. But that were born after it was made know about this movie because it's that good. Right. And I'm not saying Black Cauldron rises to that level, but what is it about Black Cauldron that doesn't let it become that? That's what I can't figure out. The rock yeah. audience is bigger than the fantasy audience, maybe? Yeah, or maybe. And I, I just can't I'm just wondering, is it a is it a does Disney actively not talk about it? And is that all it takes? Mm. Well, you out there in podcast land, you can go ahead and start researching some of that and see what you can find and let us know. At our phone number. 872-35-MOVIE. That's 872-35-MOVIE. I think that'll do it for this episode of the uh, 30-something podcast. Just like this movie, we are ahead of our time, and we'll be going now. I think we're over our time. Well, we're over our time. Uh, We will see you all next week, in which we will finish up this month's movies with Return to Oz. You've survived another episode of the 30-something movie podcast. We're glad so many of you have joined us on this adventure. Uh, We'd love to get you more involved in the show. To that end, we've set up a voicemail line for you to give us your thoughts, comments, and to answer your romantic queries. Just kidding. Uh, Call 87235-MOVIE with no romantic queries, please. Um, 872-356-6843. That's 872-35-MOVIE. And leave us a message. We figured since podcasting is an audio medium, we'd love to hear your audio messages. We're going to be recording our next uh, episodes. Um, We're going to get together and we'll record all four of those at once. So our next recording date is going to be on August 18th. So that's a Tuesday. That's in a couple of Tuesdays. So if you've got any feedback for us or anything you'd like to let us know about the movies that we've got coming up, um, please go ahead and get those into us at the either the voicemail line or you can send it to us on Facebook or on Twitter. So again, the number, if you want to call it in, is 872-35-MOVIE. Uh, this is for our August 18th recording date. Those are going to be the next four episodes uh, that would include The Terminator, Back to the Future, Repo Man, and Brazil. So if you get us to get those uh, messages to us by then, uh, we've got the voicemail number. You can also get to us at 30podcast on Twitter. That's at 30podcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash 30podcast. And you can also find us, uh, we've set up a, a crowdfunding page on uh, Podbean, which is our service provider. Um, you can find by going to The 30 Podcast, that's the30podcast.podbean.com, and click on the link Be My Patron. 
Uh, we have rewards uh, set up at different levels of support. And again, we've said this before, it doesn't cost us a lot to put together this podcast and send it out every week. But for the, some of the hosting fees and other things, there is a little bit of a cost to it. Uh, we're just doing this because we enjoy it. But if you've been enjoying it and you feel like you want to support us, just even in a, in a small way, just even the lowest support level per month, um, those are monthly pledges. So don't uh, I don't want you to go into it thinking I'm just giving this one time and that's it um, because I don't want anybody to be surprised if they decide to um, support us in that way. So um, even at the lowest possible level, if you just if you feel like you've enjoyed what you've been hearing and you'd like to give back just a little bit, we appreciate all your support, whether it's listening, downloading, uh, supporting financially, whatever it might be. So from all the guys here at the 30-something Movie Podcast, uh, we will see you next time. Uh, coming up next is going to be our final of these four episodes uh, for the month of July and August, um, and we're going to be looking at Return to Oz. So until next time. Oh, poor miserable Gurgit deserves fierce smackings and whackings on his poor tender head. I was left with no munchings and crunching.